Okay, I think we should start. I'd like to uh, welcome you all to the uh, Shapiro Seminar, which is the first of two being held this term. My name is Jim Hughes, and I'm a reader in the government department here at LSE. Uh, on my left, we have Florian Bieber from the University of Kent, uh, who is a specialist on the Balkans. And on my right, we have Bruno Kopetius from the Free University in Brussels who's a specialist on the frozen conflicts in the former Soviet Union. So as you know, the subject of our uh, event tonight is Kosovo precedent question mark and its implications for the uh, other the frozen conflicts in the uh, 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 post-communist space. Um, both speakers will talk for about uh, 20 minutes and then we will have uh, time, lots of time for questions. Now, as you know, Kosovo is part of the agreement to end the war in 1999. Kosovo was placed under UN administration while nominally remaining under the sovereign jurisdiction of the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. And the determination of the final status of Kosovo is currently underway uh, under the auspices of Marty Atasari. And it will be a significant uh, test for the principle of secession in international politics as well as for legal norms. Um, it's worth pointing out at the start that Kosovo's status under UN administration is, not, is very unusual. Uh, until the crisis of 1999, such territories uh, administered by the UN were usually very underdeveloped territories and located outside Europe. But uh, the notion of giving uh, indeterminate status for is, is not so unusual. It's quite common for partitioned, occupied, or other secessionist territories that are associated with the most protracted conflicts. Um, the international recognition of secessions resulting from conflict is also not so common. We do have some notable examples since the collapse of communism, of course, with the conflicts in former uh, Yugoslavia, Eritrea, East Timor, also recent examples. But if, and it seems certain to be the case, that... Uh, Kosovo is placed under some kind of conditional independence, then it will join a very rare group of states indeed. And it, it, it does seem as if the US and the EU are currently robustly driving uh, the UN in that direction, with or without the agreement of Serbia. In terms of political scientists' uh, uh, views about secession, there is a great deal of skepticism as to its uh, um, success for managing these kinds of conflicts. Uh, there's a deep resistance among many of the key theorists of national and ethnic conflict, such as Horvitz, to accept that cessation is, is the way forward. Or Horvitz indeed considers that cessation is almost never an answer to such problems and indeed is likely to make them worse. Moreover, we're also left with the key question as to the implications for other frozen conflicts, notably in Abkhazia, Nagorno-Karabakh and elsewhere in the former Soviet space. Western governments may seem to think that Kosovo is a, is a sui generis case, but President Putin thinks otherwise. And indeed, he's repeatedly stated that the outcome of, Kos of the Kosovo case will establish common principles, as he terms it, for dealing with the frozen conflicts in the former Soviet Union. So, to provide some of the answers to these Dilemmas, I will uh, hand you over to our first speaker, Florian Bieber. Thank you very much. Um, I will 
address the question mark in a certain way. In the next 20 minutes or so, obviously not in, as, a, as an international lawyer, but as a political scientist and as somebody who's been working on Southeastern Europe. So I will restrict my comments very much to the former Yugoslav space, and we will hear later on a bit more about implications for a maybe more broader level or particularly the former Soviet Union. And I would like to look at the issue of status of Kosovo, which, uh, as we all know, will be decided or will be at least put on a path towards a decision, whatever that may be, in the coming weeks um, in four general chapters. So the first one, I would look at what the process means for Kosovo in particular, Afterwards, what we can expect in regard to the relationship between Kosovo and Serbia itself. Um, thirdly, the regional dimension, particularly looking at what independence for Kosovo would mean for um, former Yugoslavia um, and, and the, the region of southeastern Europe. And then finally, I would like to conclude with some general observations on where I think um, the process of status decision for Kosovo will take us. Now, just to kind of first pass on kind of some of the key issues regarding Kosovo itself. So we expect very soon some further deliberations on the status of Kosovo. Uh, a proposal by Marti Atisari, the UN negotiator, is uh, about to be forthcoming, and there have been leaks over the last weeks what might be expected from such a proposal. Um, now, what, what we have the indications of, that it will suggest something leading towards independence without naming the word independence. So um, it is very clear that the issue, the word independence, and even more controversially, the word secession, is something which is carefully trying to be avoided by the international community in trying to devise a solution for Kosovo. Well, the reasons for that are quite apparent. Um, it is very unlikely that there would be a broad consent in the UN Security Council for anything which would have the word uh, secession or independence in the title, not to mention support from the Serbian authorities, although I will go back to that and mention how, whether or not this is actually relevant. Now, what does that actually mean? What can we expect? Um, because, I mean, we don't have a precedent if Kosovo does not become independent, right? Then the whole question, so to speak, falls flat into the water. Now, everybody seems to, or the de debate seems to be following on the lines of conditional independence, as it's, as it's usually called, i.e., not independence immediately and not total independence. Now, can we agree with what um, Dusan Batakovic, a close advisor to the president of Serbia, Boris Tadic, has said that independence is like pregnancy. There is no such thing as a little bit of it. Um, so is there not such a thing as a little independence? Because he, obviously, if one looks at it from the perspective of international law, one might be tempted to say, well, indeed, you cannot be a little independent. Either you're a member of the United Nations and you're internationally recognized, or you're not. However, I, I would disagree with that in terms of the political reality. Um, while this might be true in terms of international law and international full sovereignty, many countries around the world and in Europe are just a little bit independent and not a lot. In fact, we could argue nearly every country in the world is just a little bit independent, and the degree is how much this little makes up to be. Um, in particular, countries like Bosnia-Herzegovina um, and other countries in the region like Macedonia do although nominally enjoy full sovereignty, this sovereignty has been limited through a number of factors, um, not to mention um, a strong international presence, which leads to the dismissal of high-ranking officials, for example. So um, that is one way in which sovereignty is restricted, in, in Bosnia in particular. 
But then there are countries like Austria, which also has restrictions on sovereignty, uh, which nobody really seems to worry about today, but the fact that Austria cannot join Germany is something which, uh, at least 50 years ago, was maybe a more important or problematic restriction of sovereignty. So there is such a way, uh, there is such a thing as a little bit independent. Um, what seems to be very clear is there's also a way in which Kosovo is very unlikely to be independent immediately, but um, there might be a path towards independence. So the construct of conditional independence is not just um, an eloquent way to avoid taking a decision now, but it might actually be a, a practical solution if one can agree on the, the terms and the content of it. However, we have to bear in mind three, in a certain way, consequences what this, this particular decision might mean for Kosovo proper. The first question is, what does it mean for the Serb population of Kosovo, which currently accounts for something around 5, 6, 7 percent? Nobody knows exactly. There's been no population census in Kosovo since the war, and the last reliable one was conducted in 1981, so hardly a fresh data we have available. Um, however, what will happen to Serbs in Kosovo? Because there's been a threat that many are used by nationalist leaders in Kosovo of, of the Serb community that they would basically uh, altogether evacuate the province. In fact, there have been news reports about UNHCR preparing for, for uh, a Serb evacuation, as it is termed, um, so a kind of completion of an ethnic homogenization process in Kosovo uh, in the case of independence. Now, this, I believe, is to a large degree scaremongering and, in a certain way, an attempt to uh, delay the idea of, of or, or delay the process of independence, um, a, very, a very dangerous process. Now, this is not to say that um, the, press, the prospect of independence does not create a great anxiety among the Serb community in Kosovo. There's no doubt about that. Um, but then again, one has to examine um, the Serb community in Kosovo in its parts because it is rather fragmented between... Uh, the Serb community living in the north of, of Kosovo, rather directly linked to Serbia, and the Serb community living in enclaves spread throughout central Kosovo. Um, the responses to a, a status development towards independence are likely to be very different. And that again brings us to the question, what will the status contain? Because if what seems plausible at this point, Serbs in the north will have strong institutionally established ties to Serbia rather than now rather extra-institutional and black channel ties to Serbia in the views of the Kosovo authorities, um, then that might circumvent any fear of, uh, of, of Serb departure, although in the north it would not be departure of the Serb population, but rather attempted departure of the Serb territory. So a secession within a secession, one could uh, say. So that can only be accommodated, or most probably could be accommodated, only through some degree of autonomy uh, of that particular part. Again, although that creates great anxiety among the, Serb, among the Albanian majority, that this, again, might be, um, might be the first step to full secession. So, again, territorial autonomy is unfortunately become very much uh, seen as a first step towards secession, thus uh, often denied, uh, given a, a fair chance as a possibility to, to resolve some of those conflicts. So this is the first question which I think is worth investigating in our discussion. The second one is, 
it is very likely that in the conditions, in, in the kind of conditions, there will be a very strong EU presence in Kosovo, which will reduce the sovereignty and which will be very similar to something as the OHR, the Office of the High Representative in Bosnia. Now, the OHR has been uh, deciding vigorously over laws and positions over the last 10 years, but it's based its legitimacy basically on the shifting support. Um, Legal, legally obviously got support from the Dayton Agreement, although it's also built local legitimacy by having some support for its decision, usually among the community not affected by a dismissal. Um, now, whether such a construct will be acceptable in Kosovo, but, or rather result in increased frustration among the Albanian community against the international community, as we've seen in the past already, uh, remains to be seen, but I do fear that an OHR cannot be imported from Bosnia into Kosovo and be functioning in the same way. So um, the question is whether uh, there will be an acceptance of the conditionalities of that sort to uh, independence or sovereignty. Another phenomenon we see in Kosovo is, over the last years, a deflation over, of the independence myth, which is deflation of the myth that everything will be uh, glorious and golden once Kosovo becomes independent, uh, and that economic problems will only be solved, but will be solved immediately after independence. And that deflation is likely to be uh, exacerbated by, by a status decision. So that will be a crisis of political legitimacy in Kosovo, which will, uh, which will be rather problematic for the political elite, which has really been unable to offer a strong programmatic uh, development beyond uh, the goal of independence. So that's just in a nutshell what I, what I expect to be the challenges uh, for the status decision in Kosovo itself. In regard to the relationship between Serbia and Kosovo, um, obviously I think the, the elections yesterday uh, do shed a light on the phenomena. Um, in fact, I would say that Serbia remains uh, reluctant to accept independence for Kosovo. However, the key question is not whether Serbia will accept independence or conditional independence for Kosovo, but what the response will be. And it seems to be equally clear that the response of Serbia and the Serbian authorities to any conditional independence will be uh, rhetorical resistance uh, with uh, eventual acceptance linked uh, as long as there is some degree of uh, assured protection for the Serb community in Kosovo and institutional links between the north and the rest of Serbia. Um, a couple of phenomena are interesting. There has been a shift, uh, even though not dramatic, in Serbian politics on the issue of Kosovo. And when two years ago, former Foreign Minister Goran Svilanovic uh, noted the idea as member of the International Balkan Commission that Kosovo might become independent. He was ostracized and uh, called a traitor uh, quite publicly uh, by a number of political actors. He had to leave the Democratic Party parliamentary grouping as a result of that. Yesterday we see a party uh, called the Liberal Democratic Party led by former uh, Deputy Prime Minister Cedomir Jovanovic entered the Serbian Parliament who has openly said that Serbia should accept independence for Kosovo. Um, and uh, has not said so only in Belgrade, but in Kosumlia and in Niš and in Leskovac and in other places in the south of Serbia, which, are, which have grown dramatically over the last years with refugees of Serbs from Kosovo. So uh, there is a platform, although it's 5%, but it shows that there is a shift maybe in the, in the, in the understanding of the Kosovo issue in Serbia. Furthermore, in the electoral campaign in Serbia, Kosovo was not a dominant issue. So although the status decision was 
was about or was you know is is been anticipated to be be made very soon. Only the ruling party, the Democratic Party of Serbia, has really um, worked on the issue of Kosovo in terms of electoral campaigning to a, to a large degree, and as we see the numbers, has not been very successful with that. Neither uh, the opposition Democratic Party uh, of President Tadic, nor, uh, and that's more important possibly, the radical party of um, uh, <coughs> uh, the Hague inmate Vojislav Šešil, have been really uh, talking about Kosovo. The talk was about economic crisis, about better life and vague promises that everything will be better immediately if the radicals win, uh, which we, you know, we can evaluate in the terms of its realism, but certainly Kosovo was not on the agenda. Uh, and that again shows a shift in terms of uh, Serbian politics. Um, the final remark in regard to Serbia is that Kosovo status will not have a domino effect within Serbia proper. And I think that's also important to note, as there often uh, always talks about domino effects. Um, Vojvodina, Sanjak, and even the pressure of a valley, uh, which has an Albanian minority, are unlikely to be uh, you know, seeking for secession in the case Kosovo would change its status. In fact, it wouldn't really change its status, but just its international recognition. Now, in terms of, in terms of the, the regional dimension, I would similarly like to emphasize that I don't believe that domino theories are really helpful in explaining what has been going on. Uh, we shouldn't mix up chronology and logical links. So the fact that Montenegro became independent last year obviously had nothing to do with any Albanian desire to have Kosovo independent. Um, so in that sense, we should not establish just because these things happen, to happen within a year from each other as being conditioning each other. Um, in fact, I believe that goals or projects of uh, secession or independence are likely to flourish or fail independently of what is going to happen in Kosovo and the region. Now, obviously, this does not say that the issue of independence uh, might be instrumentalized by political forces across the region. So in particular, we have to be uh, wary of uh, rhetorical attempts by the Prime Minister of the Serb Republic in Bosnia, Mirora Dodik, who has, even in the aftermath of the Montenegro referendum, noted that such an idea wouldn't be so bad for Bosnia, i.e. the idea that there should be a referendum on independence of the Serb uh, Republic there. And it might be uh, possible that he would uh, reiterate such a position in the aftermath of uh, Kosovo independence. Now, it seems very plausible that that position is much more, in terms of a dom domestic rallying rather than out of born out of uh, you know, real conviction um, that the Serb Republic could, first of all, realistically join Serbia um, because there are so many obstacles to that. Serbia would have to give up its European perspective for a long period of time. Plus, if one looks at the map of Republika Srpska, it doesn't seem like exactly a viable construct to join as an independent state anything. Um, economically neither, uh, and plus uh, I think internationally the idea of Republika Srpska going it alone would be highly implausible considering the investment into Bosnia. And in fact, uh, numbers in Bosnia, in the Serb Republic as well, in terms of support for living in a joint state have grown over the last seven years rather than shrunk. So in that sense, there isn't really a dynamic towards independence of, Ser of the Serb Republic, uh, which, uh, which really could be dramatically fueled by Kosovo status changes. Finally, and probably most importantly, is the issue of Macedonia, because Macedonia has, after all, seen uh, uh, quite a significant uh, kind of... Uh, the conflict in Macedonia has been clearly linked with, with conflict in Kosovo. The crisis in 2001 was very much linked with instability in Kosovo proper, and so we see kind of a communication there. Um, now, one can make a short-term prediction, can say stability in Kosovo might lead to short-term short -term instability in Macedonia, as it did in 2001. 
but we can also turn it around and can say that obviously uh, constructive Albanian-Macedonian relations within Macedonia are only likely to be successful if uh, Kosovo is a stable place with closed territorial issues. And that is, I think, one of the key remarks is that to some degree, Kosovo is an open territorial issue which can really bring about the sense of instability in which political populists can thrive of throughout the region. So from that point of view, closing territorial questions which are open, so it is not that independence for Kosovo or, or, or whatever the final status would open in, in, in that sense uh, uh, something new, a new Pandora's box, but it would be maybe, and I'm not saying definitely, but maybe a step to close it because Kosovo status has been undefined for the last seven years. So in that sense, it's not, it's not creating a new situation, but it's trying to resolve an existing one. So returning or keeping Kosovo as part of Serbia is not exactly keeping the status quo, which is, you know, not, I mean, it might be legally the status quo, but it's not de facto the status quo. Um, and I think that, that brings me to my final concluding points, which is, you know, when we talk about the issue of precedent, I guess we're going to hear a bit more about that, we have to wonder what is it a precedent of? besides the fact that in international law precedents, according to my knowledge, are not exactly that meaningful necessarily. First of all, it's obviously not a precedent as being a self-determination movement which, we have, uh, which we're confronting in Kosovo. It is not a precedent in the fact that we have an unclear status. We see quite a number of places which have unclear statuses. So the basic point, uh, we also I can say it's not a precedent in terms of state disintegration. We've seen independence of Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Macedonia, Montenegro. So the fact that states can dissolve and that there is an international mechanism to do so uh, is not a precedent either. Now, obviously, the fact is that this is not the same, and this is, there's clear international recognition that Kosovo does not have the same status as the republics of Yugoslavia had, and that is the dilemma to basically square political reality with the circle of international legal frameworks. But I think on that it's important to note that the key question is international recognition, i.e., self-determination movements are only successful if they're internationally recognized in the end. And recognition by one country is not a success. So, um, you know, we have the, the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, which is recognized by Turkey, and that doesn't make it a successful uh, secessionist movement. And even if South Ossetia or Abkhazia or Transnistria would be recognized by Russia, that wouldn't necessarily make them successful. So the question is broad international recognition. And that it is, in a certain way, the question of Kosovo, whether Kosovo... Um, might uh, find itself in a position where it will not have an international uh, official uh, UN Security Council resolution condoning its path towards independence, which might then lead to a position where there will be bilateral recognition of Kosovo, which will be obviously much more problematic. But that might be a second scenario which we might be confronted with, which we might have to discuss the consequences of such a scenario in the coming year or so. To conclude, last, last two sentences... The lesson of Kosovo the last years is really that you cannot build a functioning society and institutional framework with unclear status. Um, and that has been really, uh, it's been difficult in Bosnia, it's been challenging in Macedonia, but it's been near impossible in Kosovo to build a functioning institutional framework to govern a deeply divided society in a vacuum of legal status. It brought about all kinds of parallel networks, uh, hopes of status in w which way or another, which precluded buying into a particular political process. So I think if the lesson is to be drawn from Kosovo is that uh, waiting seven, eight years for such a status to be decided has been uh, deeply, I would say, traumatizing and destructive to some degree, both for Kosovo and for Serbia proper. 
Um, and that is, I think, something which we should uh, you know, bear in mind as a precedent maybe when looking at other such uh, international administrations in post-conflict societies. Thank you. Thank you very much, Florian. Well, <coughs> over to our next speaker, Bruno Capetius, to yeah. uh, examine some of the implications. Yeah, I want to do it in a comparative perspective, but I want to take up the very last point that it is impossible to uh, govern a society with an unclear status. So I work comparatively. I'm interested in the question of Taiwan. And there you had a famous visit of Nixon and Kissinger, yes, to, to China in 72, and they were discussing the status of Taiwan and the possible status. And Mao spoke about a century it should be resolved. Kissinger later, 20 years later, went back to China, rediscussed also the matter, so uh, Taiwan is still a crucial, uh, of crucial importance for the United States and was interested to know if the successors of Mao were also of that view of that status could remain unclear for a century. And it was said, he asked if the situation changed. And the answer was given, yes, it changed. 20 years have passed since then. So there are still 80. I think there's a very specific way how to address secessionist conflicts in Europe, which is that indeed it is assumed that uh, conflicts on sovereignty have to re be resolved on a very short term. And what we have is that none of those conflicts are resolved uh, uh, on the short term. So that it makes there, therefore also sense to think that perhaps longer-term perspectives may be more productive also on the short term. But going back to the main question of, uh, of this evening, so if the, Kosovo, uh, the decision on Kosovo will constitute a precedent for other secessionist conflicts, well, this question has also already been raised a few years ago in 99 when NATO intervened against Yugoslavia without authorization of the UN Security Council. There were especially a number of countries, NATO countries, who found an interest in supporting uh, that decision to intervene militarily, even without the authorization of the UN Security Council, but who didn't have an interest to undermine the authority of the UN Security Council. Well, for those countries, and Belgium was among them, so it was said, yes, Kosovo, this situation is not a precedent at all. It is simply a decision which doesn't undermine the general rule. But, of course, how uh, uh, political debates uh, 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 are taken or uh, uh, take place, uh, of course it has been used as a model, and we can also assume uh, that this will be the same for conditional independence, but uh, for Kosovo. But it is said by Western diplomats that it doesn't constitute a precedent because the situation is so different. You have a very concrete situation there which will never be repeated anywhere uh, in the world. NATO intervened. It ha uh, the territory has been put under formal authority of the UN, well, this situation can't be repeated. Well, if you take it so concretely, of course, uh, uh, that, that is quite unique. But if you look at the logic, how NATO has intervened, how NATO has tried 
to solve the conflict, to achieve stability, and to come to a situation where conflict is resolved, well, then it is not so unique at all. Uh, in the past, we had Turkey, who uh, intervened in Cyprus, who took control of the north of the, the island, and who also defended a concept of conflict resolution, where the conflicting parties should get compatible interests uh, by getting equality. So the whole Turkish vision of the future of Cyprus was based on the view that the conflicting parties should get an equal say so that the North shouldn't simply be subordinated to the Greek Cypriot uh, uh, government. Well, Turkey has recognized uh, Northern Cyprus, but it didn't manage. Well, then it took a plan B, that is to assume that the Annan plan could reach this equality between the parties so that this was also an achievable model of conflict resolution in their view. Well, this failed for other reasons uh, which we don't have to analyze here. But also in that case, you see a similar logic. Russia intervened militarily in a number of conflicts, and also there it tried to raise the status of the secessionist entity and to defend plans of federalization where Abkhazia or uh, Transnistria wouldn't simply be subordinated to a central government. There were a number of plans about a common state. Well, there, Russia is not going so far to recognize those entities. It doesn't go so far as Turkey did. It knows it wouldn't lead uh, to, uh, to any solution. It would stay uh, quite alone with uh, such uh, a position. But the approach is quite the same. So what is specific about the Kosovo case is simply that the West feels strong enough to achieve such a type of conflict resolution where the secessionist entity gets the same status, the same rights as the government or as the state from which it seceded. And moreover, the West defends or feels strong enough that it can force Serbia into accepting such a, a, a position. And if this would fail, well, the West feels then still strong enough to get at least an abstention in the UN Security Council on the issue. So what is so specific about, what is so unique about Kosovo is simply that the balance of power is quite different as in the other cases. But so in, in, in the, the view of how to resolve the conflict, I think that there are quite many similarities with the Turkish and with the Russian views, but they are simply, they were simply too weak uh, to, uh, to achieve uh, the, this strategy. And as far as the principles are concerned, well, it is also said that Kosovo is quite unique. But there, there are also a number of uh, reasons uh, to doubt about it because all the arguments that are finally used to justify conditional independence are also arguments that you can hear in uh, secessionist entities such, uh, such as Abkhazia or South Ossetia. They are also quite traditional. They belong, if we take literature about the ethics of secession, to an approach in the ethics of secession which is called the just cause approach. 
which says that secession is only justified uh, when it is the only way to prevent or to correct severe injustices. And severe injustices can go from permanent discrimination up to genocide and ethnic cleansing. Um, yes? No. Uh, no, no, no. Can you... Excuse me. Can you please, please sit down? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, you're on your second warning now. Shut up! Okay. You're on your, you're on your third warning. You're on your third warning. Assertion, yeah. So, so okay, please. Can we uh, can we just calm down now after the excitement? So this this just cause approach in the ethics of secession says that secession is only justified if it is the only way to prevent or to correct severe injustices. Uh, there are also other conditions that has to be um, satisfied. That is, that the state has to be democratic. Minority rights have to be uh, respected. Uh, it shouldn't become a failed state. But what is said in this context about uh, um, um, Kosovo is then quite similar than the, uh, the arguments then given in Abkhazia or South Ossetia for the independence of their countries. Also, they say uh, uh, independence is the only way to prevent or to correct injustices. We are able to protect minority rights. We are able to create states which are self-sufficient, uh, which have a functioning economy. So the only thing what is different is that the international community says for conflicts such as Abkhazia and South Ossetia, federalism is a good approach. Their federal, uh, federal model can achieve a situation where injustices don't take place anymore. Um, the problem is, however, that federalism has no answer to the question of hard security. Uh, uh, within federated states. We have no practical experiences of federations in Europe, for example, have uh, contemporary federations who have been created uh, to, to end uh, civil wars. We don't have also on the conceptual level no answer to the question how federated states can, uh, uh, can have uh, international security guarantees, how they can, for instance, have access to international security institutions. So federalism, which is generally considered as the good answer for situations such as Abkhazia or South Ossetia, is suddenly considered by the Western diplomats as not a good solution for Kosovo. And in that sense, 
Kosovo is unique. Not in the, the way uh, the principles are discussed, not in the way that, that, uh, that the, uh, the, yeah, you have there the same alternatives at stake, but suddenly it is said that, uh, uh, that in the uh, situation of Kosovo, only independence can provide for um, the sufficient guarantees uh, to avoid a repetition of what happened in 1999, can avoid discrimination by the Serb uh, majority, uh, can uh, avoid the risk of new uh, ethnic cleansing. So I think in this sense, Kosovo will have far-reaching implications because if the situation, the facts, the, the, the way how external actors, in the case of Kosovo, NATO, but in the case of South Ossetia and Abkhazia, Russia, and in the case of Cyprus, Turkey, don't have a fundamentally different view how to achieve conflict resolution, but that in the case of Kosovo, it is now suddenly said that only independence will finally give a solid base uh, for conflict resolution. Well, you can imagine that in the other conflicts uh, that will have quite far-reaching uh, implications. Um, you have also heard probably about the, the fear existing in a country such as Georgia of the implications of a Kosovo precedent. Solana has also spoken about it, how the Georgian president uh, asked him to take Georgian interests into account when taking a decision uh, about Kosovo. Well, I think the, the, the consequences can only be minimalized in Georgia when there will be a quite radical turn in their approach to the conflict. Because if the conflict of Abkhazia and South Ossetia are based, uh, or the secessionist discourses in Abkhazia and South Ossetia are based on just cause arguments, well, you have to give an answer to that. But until now, the use of force and threats of the use of force have not been avoided even during the processes uh, of negotiations since uh, um, uh, 92 and 93. So the only way to minimize the consequences of Kosovo for the, the secessionist conflicts in Georgia would be yeah, to give sufficient guarantees already at the present moment for uh, the security of Abkhazia and South Ossetia. And that would indeed mean a quite radical uh, turn in the, uh, uh, in the Georgian uh, approach. But if the Kosovo case uh, will have quite far-reaching consequences for all secessionist conflicts which are based on uh, uh, just cause uh, issues, you have also to take into account that there are a number of uh, secessionist conflicts also in Europe which use uh, or where uh, quite different arguments are used. So next to the just cause approach, you have also the choice approach in the ethics of secession. And that's quite fundamentally different. 
that approach doesn't take the fact that uh, independence is the only uh, um, um, way to solve uh, or to prevent or to co uh, correct injustices. That approach simply takes the fact that, uh, as a point of departure, that a people can have a free choice in determining uh, under which regime and with which state they want to live. And if they make, um, if the population of a territory makes a collective decision through a referendum of creating a new state, well, in principle, they have the right to that if a number of conditions, additional conditions are respected. And those additional conditions are quite similar to the ones you find in the just cause approach. Well, that state should be democratic. It should uh, respect uh, um, uh, minority rights. It's, uh, it should be economically sustainable. Well, this kind of argument is very much used in uh, discussions um, uh, on secession within the European Union. If you read all the debates about Scottish independence, well, they are generally not based on just cause arguments. They are based on a choice approach uh, to uh, secession, and the same is true for Quebec or Flanders. Uh, are, it's also important to discuss this in relationship to Kosovo, because you have one of the secessionist entities in the former Soviet Union where also a choice approach is used rather than a just cause approach, namely in Transnistria. So in Transnistria there was a referendum in September uh, last year and the arguments used uh, by those in favor of the independence of Transnistria were mostly based on the fact that the people of Transnistria had the right to constitute a nation and to decide uh, for their own state and for their own independence. Well, this is a very different situation as in Abkhazia and South Ossetia, and, um, and this difference can also be explained. Well, Transnistria is a very um, is a country uh, where or, or region, depending how you want to define it, uh, where you have the same nationalities as you find them in the state from which Transnistria uh, seceded, namely Moldova. So you have the same national groups, and the reasons why they seceded are not uh, um, uh, ethnic in the same sense as they are uh, in Abkhazia or South Ossetia. The major problem for the Transnistrian regime is to consolidate and to justify uh, their, uh, their, uh, their independence without that they are able to point out, as they do it in Abkhazia or South Ossetia, that there were long-standing historic injustices. So population of Transnistria was not the victim of discrimination before uh, they uh, seceded de facto. There was the question of language rights, but that is a minor issue. That the, uh, it doesn't uh, give uh, the, the same strength to arguments uh, for uh, independence. Well, in this situation, it's quite clear that Kosovo will not constitute a precedent. 
So there it would be quite hard uh, to say, uh, or that it would be quite hard for the Transnistrians uh, to, to use that reference uh, to Kosovo to justify for their own independence. I think it's quite important to compare uh, and to distinguish those uh, two approaches in the ethics of secession, because I think that, in, that those secessionist conflicts where the choice approach is used, well, they are more easily to be resolved through federal models than uh, ethnic conflicts where uh, mostly um, uh, um, just cause uh, arguments uh, are used. I also think that this distinction is quite important because international law is not entirely silent about secession. It means that lawyers, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, uh, what I can read about it, that it is far easier for lawyers to build a case, for instance, for the independence of Kosovo or of other entities using just cause arguments rather than using choice arguments. Um, so, um, uh, the, a, a further uh, element is important to, 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 to stress the difference between the two approaches in the ethics of secession is also that to resolve the, these conflicts, you need other methods. I think that in the case of Abkhazia or South Ossetia, it is far more important to work, therefore, on conflict res uh, confidence-building measures. It is far more important to work on international security guarantees, to work on something like uh, agreements between the parties that uh, uh, violence will not be used, that hostilities uh, will not be resumed. So to create a basis where you have sufficient confidence between the parties that, yeah, that you switch simply from a just cause argumentation to a choice argumentation. And such a switch has already taken place in other secessionist conflicts. Yeah. In the case of Quebec or Flanders, for example, in the past, uh, mostly just cause arguments were used to justify the independence of Quebec or Flanders. But the situation has changed. The conflicts have been transformed. So the question of justice and justices is not anymore on the forefront. So in the present situation, uh, the arguments for independence in Quebec or in Flanders, and I think also in Scotland, are based mostly on choice arguments. And in such a situation, federalism makes a far better chance. So I think that in, in that respect, uh, uh, the Kosovo is, first of all, a precedent uh, for other secessionist conflicts, but it can, uh, yeah, it can also be used as a chance uh, in order to convince governments, such as the Georgian con uh, government, uh, to switch strategies in their attempt to resolve the conflicts they are confronted with. Okay, I think at this point uh, we should uh, thank the speakers for two very incisive and uh, fairly different uh, approaches to the subject.
At this point, I'd like to give those who wish to leave a couple of minutes to leave so that it doesn't disturb the questions. That's our normal pattern of procedure. Okay? So if you'd like to leave, please do so quickly. Okay, well, yes, please. Uh, we have a microphone which will circulate. Um, I should just announce before I take questions for the speakers that the event is being recorded, hopefully not in its entirety. Uh, and it will be available, again, hopefully not in its entirety, online. Uh, if you look at the LSE website, it will be available as a podcast. <coughs> So, questions then for our speakers, please. And if you could keep your, your questions fairly brief and to the point. Okay. I think this gentleman here with the... Uh, well, I, I would like to make the point uh, which came from the second speaker, that the problems related to whether the Kosovo, the Kosovo case is a precedent or, no, or not has to be decided by an international authority. And the problems, of course, which were generated by the way in which the Kosovo case have been pursued, that is, the violation of international law, makes that very difficult. And in this respect, of course, the decision or the different interpretation of what constitutes a precedent to justify the violation of international law complicates also the, the vision of who decides, for example, whether and where the Kosovo case is a precedent. Now, we come back to the same situation with the Iraq conflict because the different interpretation of whether it was a precedent to justify the violation of international law was applied by certain countries in the case of Iraq. And we ended up with the morass of Iraq. So everything which has to be done in the case of Kosovo has to be done legally. And I think that is a key question. What I would like to have your comments on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's have another couple then. We'll take two or three together. Yes, Tom DeLong. Um, would you agree that the, if there is a precedent here, it's that the international community is overriding the principle of consent, that, that Kosovo is being offered sovereignty without the consent of Serbia? I can't think of another example um, in, in the world where that's happening. Um, and in a sense, this has its positive side in the sense that um, um, human rights and democracy are being prioritized over, uh, over borders. And this could have a positive precedent if, if this is handled in other frozen conflicts that the issue of status is, as it were, being put on behind issue of democracy, protection of minorities, and so on. So in the Caucasus, the conversation has shifted to one away from sovereignty towards the positive things that the Abkhaz and the South Ossetians or the Karabakhis can do to aspire to independence. Yes, this gentleman here. Thank you. Um, 
Well, as, as it's well known, um, when uh, the Yugoslav crisis emerged uh, in the early 90s, uh, Commission Badinter um, had to, uh, to give the verdict who, was, um, who had the right to, for independence, for secession from former Yugoslavia and who not. Uh, in the case of Kosovo, it never gave explicitly a verdict whether Kosovo has the right for secession or not, or, or rather it didn't say that Kosovo doesn't have a right to do so. So in, if, since that is the case, I wonder how it uh, could be interpreted in your theories. Okay, I think we'll take some responses to those three. Let me give a couple of, couple of points. I think um, the, the first theme is basically a theme of, 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 you know, basically how much will or how much should or how much is international law being broken by, by a potential independence for Kosovo. And obviously that's the major issue of concern. Um, is it a development to basically allow or to agree, as, as was asked, basically the consent to uh, basically the issue of consent being ignored uh, by of the, of the seceding country because of the human rights violation? I mean, that's basically what we heard is the just cause argument uh, essentially put into practice. Um, now obviously, there is a fundamental. I mean, I would say there is a problem. Obviously, if you don't have the consent of the country involved, um, that is that is something which which we should be concerned about. Um, the argument, I think, is, is plausible in the case of Serbia that due to the human rights violations of 1999, Serbia has certainly, uh, to some degree, uh, put into doubt its own legitimacy to rule over Kosovo. And if, if we look at the... I mean, th there is a whole debate on that because you can say it's not lo no longer Slobodan Milosevic in power in Serbia. So can a democratic government be held responsible for the acts of a non-democratic predecessor? And I think that's something we have to grapple with. There are lots of indications that the democratic governments have not been particularly um, fond of the Albanian population in Kosovo and that including it into, into its politics. So, for example, the referendum on the constitution uh, of Serbia of last uh, end of last year, um, which prescribed Kosovo being part of Serbia, was made with an electoral list where Albanians were not included. Now, Albanians would have not voted in that, in, in, in that, in that referendum, but the fact that Albanians were not part of the electoral list had domestic political calculations of turnout and so on. But one could interpret it as a way that there isn't a commitment to include the Albanian population uh, into the into the Serbian politics. And I think more importantly than the just cause argument, which I do think is a legitimate, or can be a legitimate argument, we have to look at, the, look at the, coming as a political scientist, looking at it as a conflict management approach and seeing that, you know, is a federal solution or a confederal solution an alternative to uh, independence of whatever sort? And I do not see it being an alternative. I mean, I do think that the international community also would prefer a federal solution. I mean, it would be much less headache for everybody involved if Kosovo would agree to a confederal arrangement with Serbia. I mean, if, if that was to be possible to be agreed upon, I think tomorrow we would have the report of Mate Atisari and in three days a decision of the UN Security Council. But the reality is different. And it's not only, I mean, it's not only the resistance of, of the Kosovo-Albanian majority to such an arrangement, but it's also, the, I mean, I would honestly say the experience of Serbia and Montenegro as a state where Montenegro had a much less strong commitment to independence than Kosovo had um, over the last, uh, you know, three years is much closer in many ways to Serbia. And still that state failed, and rather dramatically, and not just due to Montenegro, but also due to Serbia. So I really cannot see how a confederal arrangement with Kosovo could work, which basically means the only alternative to not giving a legally recognized independence in the long term to Kosovo would be keep keeping the status quo, i.e. deliberate uh, kind, of, uh, kind of deliberate ambiguity of status, 
i.e. de facto independence with legal maintaining of the status quo. That's the only alternative in terms of status unless we start talking about partition, which again opens a whole I mean, partition of Kosovo. So uh, I don't see a, a kind of a conventional federalism as a conflict management tool as being an alternative. I think that's, that's what I'm, what I'm, where, where I kind of come from particularly. Just the issue of the Badonter Commission. The Badonter Commission explicitly rejected uh, Kosovo, uh, uh, basically the request by the Kosovo delegation to be recognized as, uh, as one of the units. The problem is, well, the thing, the problem is obviously that these things are always for pragmatic reasons, and we have, we have to look at these. You know, obviously that's why. I mean, you could say the Biden Commission was flawed because it should have examined other arguments. There could have been an argument made that Kosovo could have some degree of independence uh, granted in 1991 because it was a federal unit, not only being a unit of Serbia at the time because of the 1974 constitution of Yugoslavia. So Kosovo had a dual status of being both a federal and a republican unit, and you could have made a whole argument on that basis. But again, I mean, Badonter Commission didn't do it, so that makes the case today much more difficult, actually, um, to find a legal way to argue for that. Uh, and the last point I think I just want to add is, when we look at the just cause argument, the key, key question is not just, is it, it's not just an argument, but it also has to be backed up to some degree by the reality. Um, so, you know, we cannot just say if a movement invokes that they've been discriminated or, 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 you know, seriously maltreated, we have to also make sure that this has really been the case and that there is, in a certain way, some continued issue with that. But I think there is, so basically these are, these are the issues we think we should, we should bear in mind. Okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that, that Kosovo is in a way uh, quite important as a result of many failed attempts to reintegrate uh, de facto states. So uh, there has been uh, that experience with Cyprus, which I think was most dramatic because it was, it lasted, conflict lasted already 30 years, has been frozen for so long time. It has been, an attempt has been made to resolve it uh, under the optimal uh, conditions you can imagine. It failed. Other uh, conflicts uh, uh, involving de facto states couldn't be solved either. Uh, so um, not only in Europe, you have also uh, that case of Taiwan and, and, and other issues where uh, this uh, uh, no, no uh, progress, uh, at least on the political level, uh, has been made. The only progress we can speak about in Europe is in respect to conflict management. So there has been new, no new escalation on the military uh, level uh, of the conflict. Well, this failure of uh, reintegrating uh, de facto states uh, uh, is naturally also linked with uh, yeah, the failure of federalism uh, to uh, give an answer uh, to such problems. Federalism is... Uh, an ideology which assumes that many guarantees can be given to minorities uh, through a federation or through a confederation. The problem is that in uh, uh, societies that have been through violent uh, conflict, through a civil war, well, there is no uh, federal technique how to address these hard security issues. 
So federalism uh, works quite well for soft security issues, but not uh, when uh, military guarantees have to be given to both communities. So I don't think that it is uh, such a radical distinction should be made between perceptions and realities. If people feel threatened, well, uh, they feel threatened, and uh, they may disagree then with any federal solution offered to them. Uh, the most famous example is the one of the Greek Cypriots. One of the major reasons why they refused the Anand Plan well, was because the Anand Plan left quite a lot of insecurity in their view and uh, didn't address uh, sufficiently the question of uh, the Turkish presence on the island. So it, it would be easy, I think, for an external observer to argue uh, that uh, those threats were all uh, um, yeah, exaggerated, uh, that the Anand plan uh, was, uh, provided sufficient security guarantees on other levels. Well, uh, uh, this, this feeling was uh, already enough uh, for them uh, to, to, yeah, to um, uh, for, for a part of the Greek Cypriots at least, uh, to refuse uh, this plan. And I think that uh, when uh, discussions take place about applications of federal models in Georgia, South, uh, so in, in South Ossetia or Abkhazia, well, uh, you are confronted with this problem. It is difficult to present uh, Swiss or Belgian federalism as an answer to the problems uh, Abkhaz or South Ossetians have been uh, gone through. And I think that in Kosovo not even an effort has been uh, made to address it on the level of federalism. I think there the Western diplomats have uh, taken quite quickly the point of view that independence was the only realistic uh, solution. Well, independence instead of a federated state or instead of autonomy and conditional is added to it but uh, conditional uh, recognition that has been the approach of the European Union already uh, uh, with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and of Yugoslavia. So to link the whole question of recognition to a number of uh, conditions, well, uh, in the, uh, that is uh, not exactly new. But I think what is exactly new is indeed that uh, the federal model has been abandoned, at least officially. Could you just comment quickly before I take some more questions on, on, on Tom's point? Of the, uh, maybe we're moving into a new yeah. dimension where human rights are being prioritized. Yeah, you could, you could see it as a, as a that, that there would be an element of progress in it, so in the sense that central governments can now be fearful that if they commit such atrocities as ethnic cleansing, that they will not, uh, that they may definitely uh, finally uh, lose uh, co uh, control or sovereignty over a territory. But at the same time, it means, with Kosovo as an example, that sovereignty is the only institution that may give sufficient guarantees to the population of a territory. So that, they are, that the only real state institutions are sovereign institutions, that conflict resolution can only take place 
between nations that are represented by sovereign institutions, by sovereign states. So uh, that is, uh, it would be a confirmation of that rule. So in that sense, I don't see exactly a progress. It could only be lead to a progress if, for example, in a concrete situation such as Georgia, uh, the government would cease to use uh, force or threats with the use of force because Georgian government has not abandoned that uh, uh, and, and turned to a very different way of uh, uh, trying to resolve the conflicts with Abkhazia and uh, South Ossetia so, uh, so that, in, uh, that there are no su such strong security or um, feelings of threats in Abkhazia and South Ossetia so that the debate about secession would change its nature. But that means a very long-term perspective, something where you should imagine uh, 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 that this would take a number of decennia. It's not to be done in, 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 in a few years. Um, and that would also um, uh, a solution which wouldn't then lead to the independence of South Ossetia or Abkhazia would also presume that the population is ready to enter a very different type of discussion about federalism and independence. But um, I don't see that uh, I don't see uh, that, that for the moment happening in Georgia. Okay, we have lots of questions. Now, there was someone. In here, I think. No? Okay, this man in the blue scarf here, and then the gentleman behind him, and then... Thanks very much. I was wondering uh, if the, Dr. Florian Bieber could explain um, whether, the, whether the Serbs... That, you said earlier that the, there was... Um, some kind of discourse that Serbs will evacuate in the case of independence. Um, I was wondering whether you, you could explain that to the audience whether that was their, were their, um, was their uh, choice and whether enough um, has been offered by the Kosovo institutions to wor towards their um, safety in, in, in uh, Kosovo. And um, I think that would do for Rangi. Thanks. Yes, could I suggest the one thing that makes the Kosovo situation absolutely unique is that it is in fact the result of the first intercontinental aggression against a European state led by a non-European state. And uh, it would have been very useful to have mentioned that the largest U.S. base in Europe is to be found in Kosovo and that it was built there within four months of NATO bombing themselves into the region and occupying it. It would also be useful, by the way, when we are speaking of human rights, to at least identify some criteria for them. I mean, one of them would be that for any group of people, human rights means to be actually able to establish their presence and to continue to live on the territory in which they have lived for centuries. A great deal has been said here about Serbian ethnic cleansing. Mr. Bieber here mentioned, in fact, uh, the population census of 1981 and dismissed it. Mr. Bieber, can I tell you 
that according to that census, Albanians in Kosovo made up 77.6% of that population, but today make up 95% of that population. Okay, thank you. Now you've made Sorry, two the ethnic cleansing is against the Serbs. 150 churches have been okay. utterly destroyed. It did no, not you've, help you've, even you've, during uh, the Soviet fascist occupation. You've made two points. Do you, want, if, do you want your questions answered? Okay. Thank you. And we have one more. Please, uh, no ad hominem attacks. Just keep your questions very straightforward and to the point. Here, this. Can you just take the microphone? Because otherwise people won't hear you. I mean, the, the gentleman fails to mention that it was exactly federalism who destroyed the former Yugoslavia. Kosovo was part of federalism, federal state, and that system is clearly did not work in the past. It's not going to work, as Mr. Biber said, with, with Montenegro and Serbia, where there was no military conflict and there was no clash of cultures between Montenegrins and Serbians, while the Kosovans are entirely different in their culture with the Serbian, with the Serbian nation, as the gentleman who, who now talking about the ethnic cleansing, when everybody saw that it was a million of Kosovans who were uh, forcibly uh, pushed out of their, their, their country. So there is no reason to talk about that anymore. Oh, but, okay, can you ask a question now, please? Well, the question is, I, I want Mr. Biber to explain to, to the audience that why the federalism, not to use only the, the fresh example between Montenegro and, and Serbia, but the, the example of federal state of Yugoslavia, why that state didn't work. It was because of federalism. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we've got a question down here, the gentleman in the red pullover. Yeah. Thank you for taking my question. How might Kosovo's independence influence American and Russian policies towards the Caucasus frozen conflicts? That's my question. Okay, that's okay. Very, very briefly. Uh, the first question was regarding um, how, how uh, realistic or how, what, what, how much there is a, a real threat that, that Serbs might f continue to leave Kosovo uh, in case of independence and the status of protection of the Serb community in Kosovo. And I think one of the, one, obviously one of the main problems has been the fact that Serbs have not felt safe in Kosovo since 1999, and there have been uh, continuous incidents uh, and, and, uh, and uh, incidents of expulsion uh, throughout Kosovo, most, most on a bigger scale in March 2004. So I believe that independence for Kosovo is not going to change that in the sense that Serbs who do not feel safe in Kosovo have left already, so it is not that the status change will necessarily uh, lead to an increase of that, but the, the obvious problem is that the institutions of Kosovo uh, have not provided or have been unable to provide sufficient protection, and I mean the main responsibility does fall on the shoulder of the international community for that, um, and that remains an issue. And I think the out-migration of Serbs from Kosovo has been a continuous trend, and, and again there is a there's a whole argument over the, the decreased numbers, of, as, the, as, as the gentleman has mentioned, decreased number of Serbs over the last decades, um, which has been an issue and which has been interpreted in many ways, and I don't want to go into the discussion for that, but certainly, definitely in the last seven years, that has been also the result of serious human rights violations. 
and um, and that is that is a, a worrying trend in a certain way that that there is a, a, an increased uh, kind of homogenization of Kosovo as a result of outmigration of Serbs, which is likely to continue. Um, uh, irrespective of the status solution to some degree, unfortunately. Um, the question is really what is the package of internal arrangements within Kosovo which will protect or which will provide, and I, I very much agree with, with, with Bruno's comments on that, that often the sense of security is, 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 is something which you cannot, uh, if people feel insecure, it doesn't matter whether it is real or not, but it's the perception which often matters to a very large degree, and the, the, that really has to be taken uh, seriously, and I do believe that discussions over the status of Kosovo, and that's, I guess, the one thing which the status discussion have overshadowed is about the substance within Kosovo, because it is less important of what is the relationship between Serbia and Kosovo. It is more important the relationship between the citizens of Kosovo with each other. Um, so the question is, how do Serbs in Kosovo receive the best protection? And it is, it is an automatism of, of, of Serbian arguments that it would be Serbian government which would be the best to protect it, or, or territorial integrity. But considering the status quo, it seems to be very difficult to make that successful. So in that, that sense, the best type of protection seems to be an internal organization within Kosovo. And that, I think, is, 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 is certainly opens the question of federalism, of power sharing, of consociationalism, not necessarily in the relationship between Serbia and Kosovo, but within Kosovo. And that's something where I think there's been little discussion publicly, uh, both in Serbia and in Kosovo and internationally, on how Kosovo should look like internally organized to accommodate its minorities. Uh, and too much has been, in a certain way, focused on the, on the kind of dimension between Kosovo as a province and Serbia proper. Um, so I think I'll leave it with, uh, with that. Do you remember the other question? Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the question if Kosovo is a um, president, uh, precedent, uh, it doesn't only concern the question of conditional independence. It also concerns what will happen next with Kosovo or how will the situation evolve in Kosovo. Uh, it is... I think quite worrying that negative trends in Kosovo are also used as a criteria uh, to justify independence. You have in Abkhazia, uh, you hear already the argument that there is a larger part of the Georgian population that returned uh, to Abkhazia then there are Serbs living in Kosovo who are able to stay in Kosovo. So this would then be so the poor situation, uh, difficult situation of the Serbs in Kosovo is then already used as a standard in a way to reach independence for another uh, secessionist entity where the minority situation is also uh, extremely uh, demanding. Um, concerning, yeah, so that means that uh, I think it will uh, 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 remain very important uh, uh, that the situation in Kosovo improves because I think it will remain a focus point of attention uh, in other secessionist conflicts. Then concerning the question of um, uh, federalism, uh, and the crisis of federalism, I didn't go into that, but of course the, 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 the Soviet and the Yugoslav forms of uh, federalism have made it much more difficult to uh, conceive federalism as a, acceptable alternatives in uh, those territories. But there is 
next to that, I think that there is uh, still yeah, a more uh, severe problem that it seems that conflict resolution is more easily achieved if it happens between sovereign institutions. When we speak about European integration as a peacemaking mechanism, we are speaking about sovereign nations. We are speaking about France and Germany. Uh, and uh, the, what they have achieved as conflict resolution, what they have achieved to make their identities and interests compatible, well, that was all on the level of sovereign states. So there are very few or much less examples uh, uh, on uh, the level of nations uh, which are represented by non-sovereign entities. And the same seems to be true in the former Yugoslavia, so that Croatia and Serbia, uh, now that they are sovereign nations, will achieve more on the level of uh, conflict resolution than they achieved in the past. And that seems to be the model followed now uh, with Kosovo. And uh, in this sense, uh, uh, I, I told, uh, I said it was a failure, uh, a failure of federalism. But that doesn't mean that federalism will be now completely excluded from the picture because it will still be a main issue to be, a main possible alternative uh, to be discussed. But the model of sovereignty uh, has been strengthened by this decision uh, for conditional uh, independence. Thank you. Any further questions? I'll take, yes. Thank you. Um, President Putin has publicly declared, uh, together with the, some of his senior officials, that in case a resolution comes out in the Security Council that imposes a settlement, well, Russia will use its veto. Now, do you think this is only tactics? And if this is not the case, what do you think could be the solution? Because without a UN Security Council resolution at least terminating Yuming's mandate, well, mm -hmm. it's still there. Yeah, could I ask you to elaborate a bit more on what why you seem reassured that there wouldn't be a knock-on effect in the Preshevo Valley. Uh, and the reason I ask that is, um, having been there about six months or so ago, uh, the type of beer you buy in a different village is dependent on nationality. And the schools have very clear um, delineations, and it's, it's, I, I was quite um, surprised to hear you say that. This gentleman Um, concerning the question whether Kosovo is a president or not, it, is, it was striking to hear Professor Kopitir mentioning um, uh, different cases throughout the world um, at a time when it's so obvious that Kosovo is, is a unique case. And just let me cite a few criteria that make it really unique in case. A series of UN Security Council resolutions uh, treating the situation in Kosovo as a threat to the international peace and security. Um, uh, decades of egregious human rights violations which culminated in, in a war um, that um, by, by, by the Serbian government which drove uh, um, almost a million people out of their homes, uh, killed uh, 20,000 and, and uh, um, destroyed 100,000 homes. 
um, for which the whole Serbian, the most senior civilian military police and intelligence uh, leadership is standing trial in the, in the Hague for crimes against humanity. A UN Security Council Resolution 1244, which placed, uh, which authorized the deployment of in, uh, international military and civilian presence to Kosovo, and which placed Kosovo under international administration, thereby suspending the sovereignty of the then the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, a state which does not exist anymore. A process uh, initiated and authorized by the UN Security Council to solve uh, the uh, um, future status of Kosovo, which is uh, uh, currently underway. And can you tell us, uh, Professor Kopitier, uh, which of those other cases meet these criteria? Okay, thank you very much. Yes, so there were two types of arguments. First, the one referring to the UN Security Council resolutions, and then the one concerning massive human rights violations. But the second one concerning massive human rights violation, that is, is a situation you find also in other territories, in the other secessionist conflicts in the world. But it's fully true that, that on the level of the UN Security Council, decisions have been taken concerning Kosovo that have not been taken concerning Abkhazia or South Ossetia. But that refers to a different, yeah, also balance of power between uh, the main actors in that situation. So uh, uh, as I said previously, I think that Turkey with Northern Cyprus and Russia with Abkhazia and South Ossetia would very much like to have the same approach to conflict resolution as uh, the Western countries with Kosovo, namely increase the status of the secessionist entity up to independence, so in order to keep also their influence there, and then from there on, from that situation on, start a uh, process of uh, conflict uh, resolution and to achieve stability uh, in the region. And then to co come then to the, the Russian position, in that uh, situation. I think that the Russians until now very well expressed what they wanted to get out of the Kosovo precedent, simply to point out that what they are doing, what their policy is in Abkhazia and South Ossetia is after all not so different as the one concerning Kosovo. But if a final decision has to be taken, uh, on Kosovo, it can't be done against their will. That is fully true, but that is, they, they of course have a veto power. But they also raise the stakes by saying that the West can't assume that they will get uh, Russian support uh, just like that. I think that there will be a heavy, uh, it will be a diff uh, difficult um, uh, question to negotiate with the Russians, but it is not excluded. It is not impossible that at least they would abstain in such a vote so that they wouldn't support uh, the independence of Kosovo, but that they would at least not go against it. Because there's also a risk of going against the independence of a new state. China did that in the past with Bangladesh. They opposed the independence of Bangladesh, and they consider it now as a mistake. Yes, of course, Bangladesh is now sovereign and independent, so it is not good to, to be in a situation where you have opposed it, uh, where you have opposed at the beginning the independence of such a nation. 
So I think that abstention is a real possibility. And, but if that can't be achieved, it would be a very risky business for the Western community to start with what you describe also as bilateral forms of recognition. Yeah, bilateral, it would then be the Western community as such who would take a collective decision because individual forms of recognition are, uh, are really too, um, uh, uh, too risky. But, but even uh, such unilateral recognition of the independence of Kosovo uh, would be far, far going. Even during the Cold War, the Soviet Union and the Americans who both used secessionist movements also for their own uh, purposes, manipulated them also, supported them, never went so far as to give up the principle of territorial integrity of states uh, and uh, to favor yeah, the fragmentation of world order. There have been always a certain restraint, even during the Cold War, so I don't see that it would be to the advantage of uh, the West now uh, to go against uh, that principle. The, but a vote by the Security Council that uh, with the abstention of Russia and China, that would be enough. If this is not achievable, I think there will be a long process of waiting and further negotiations. But uh, and that sooner or later they would come to a minimal consensus. Okay. Brian, can you address the question about precedent? Yes, um, just one sentence on that, on that previous issue. I mean, what, what Russia has also said very clearly is that it wouldn't accept the solution which is not accepted by Serbia. I mean, that basically being one of the criteria. And I think the question is also how much Serbia can be bought into a process which, I mean, and that seems to be very clear. The proposal which is going to be tabled will not contain the word independence and will not offer it in the foreseeable future, but it will be a process which will lead towards it. So the question is how much Serbia will be opposed to such a proposal which, is, which seems to be much more watered down than what seemed to be on the table half a year ago. So it could be argued that Serbia has been successful in Russia as well. So, you know, again, it seems to be more possible now with these options discussed that there would be at least abstention and some kind of at least condoning the status quo and the development and that, that there will be a decision on, the, on full recognition for international sovereignty at some later point. On the issue of Preševo, um, just a couple of points. I've, I very much agree with your observations that pressure was very much, uh, I mean, Preševo, Bujanovac, and Medvedev are divided uh, communities to, to, to that degree. Um, but what is, what, what, what is encouraging is that, I mean, yesterday, for example, the Albanian community for the first time participated in Serbian parliamentary elections in a decade uh, and have won a seat uh, as far as I know. Um, and that is something which, uh, which does show a, a change of, uh, you know, a, a, a maybe increasing commitment to work within the framework of the Serbian state. Now, obviously, if partition is a solution in Kosovo, in northern Kosovo would not be part of an independent Kosovo, then I think Preshevo Valley would be on the agenda. But I think save that option, which I think has been excluded by the international community by and large, uh, it, it seems very plausible that although divided, Preshevo uh, will, will find its future within Serbia. Now, obviously, it depends how harsh the border will be to Kosovo. One can only hope that, you know, uh, borders will not be too harsh because that obviously is always the, the worst-case scenario for you know, increasing conflict across the region. Okay, we're coming right close to our uh, end point. I'd just like to ask a final question. And I don't think Chechnya has been mentioned by anyone this evening. And I just would like uh, both speakers to comment on are there any implications for Chechnya from this issue? Well, let's, let's have the speakers. 
Maybe I, yeah. Well, I mean, I think obviously if, if, if Kosovo, again, this is the question, everybody, for everybody it's a different type of precedent. Uh, and, but I think if it's a precedent for the just cause argument to be a legitimate reason for international recognition, i.e. a way in which, because normally, you know, the basic starting point of secessionist movements are not internationally recognized. So only very, you know, countries are reluctant, uh, and not just Russia. Um, so if this is a precedent that just cause arguments are legitimate, um, then obviously they would apply to a significant degree to Chechnya as well. Um, but obviously they only apply to the just cause part. They don't apply to the fact that there is an existing government, a territory, uh, any kind of form of government or democracy of, to speak of. So from that point of view, it's, it seems easy, more easily applicable to the existing uh, 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 kind of de facto states but I, I, do think, I do think that, you know, it, it depends, again, how the precedent is constructed. And I think to, to that point, precedents are only successful if they're followed by others. Uh, and I do, I do believe that, you know, the Kosovo precedent only becomes a precedent if we see a succession of that. And, I th you know, the 1999 bombardment of Serbia uh, in, 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 in regard uh, of the Kosovo, in the Kosovo War, didn't set a precedent because there haven't been dozens of wars of, of regional organizations going around bombing countries. I mean, this is not something which has been widespread. So from that point of view, I would say, yes, it was, it was highly problematic, but it didn't set a precedent because nobody is, you know, using it. So from that point of view, I think we have to, you know, uh, separate exceptions from precedents. Yeah. So I said that there were no successful examples of reintegration of de facto states, but I meant with peaceful means and through negotiations, because a number of de facto states have been destroyed by force in Europe. You have the Kraina, you have the Respublika Serbska in Bosnia through the NATO intervention, and you have the de facto state of Chechnya, which has been destroyed by Russian military force. And concerning the Kosovo precedent, I think it is also the, the, the case where this precedent has been used most effectively uh, in the beginning, but then uh, where attempts to use this model have eventually failed. That is that uh, the, the, the Mashadov government, uh, that was three years ago, two, two, three years ago, has defended a model based on Kosovo where Chechnya would become an international protectorate and where it would receive conditional independence. So the international community would strengthen the state's institution in Chechnya, help to democratize Chechnya. So the Mashadov government uh, accepted the point of view that, uh, that Chechnya had been uh, uh, undemocratic and had not been uh, yeah, confirming uh, the conditions of the international uh, community concerning democracy and that in a later stage, uh, Chechnya would then become an uh, independent state. It is interesting to notice that many European parliamentarians have supported this point of view. So I don't think that they have gone through uh, the whole scenario, how they imagined how international troops uh, would have been st uh, stationed in uh, Chechnya. It's already quite difficult to station them in other parts of the world, including uh, Kosovo, but they have supported the model. So in that sense, the Mashadov government at the time was quite successful to use the Kosovo precedent. But the main point, I think, the main difference is that in the case of Kosovo, it was possible to have a UN Security Council resolution uh, um, uh, where 
the status of Kosovo, the future status uh, of Kosovo remained undetermined, but where it was put under UN administration, it is difficult to imagine Russians with their veto power accepting that Chechnya would come under UN uh, administration. So to, to have the UN administer the border uh, of Russia would, would, uh, would clearly have been a, a non-starter uh, for the Kremlin. But, but it shows that the Kosovo model is used uh, already. It has also to be said, for example, in Taiwan, that uh, some, some uh, uh, it, or that it may be expected that Kosovo will be more used in the future than it is now, because a number of secessionist movements are quite reticent to use the Kosovo model or the Kosovo precedent. As long as nothing it is decided, this would be quite imprudent, because what happens if Kosovo gets a status that they themselves don't want? So the argument what you hear, for example, in Abkhazia, that after all, Abkhazia has stronger arguments even than Kosovo to get independent, to get independence is already a way to deal with this problem. But once that Kosovo will get its independence, then you can expect that the precedent uh, uh, will uh, have its full force. Well, I'm sure if you'd like to join me in thanking our speakers for a very balanced and fascinating discussion. <laughs> <laughs>